Let's gather our hearts together at the throne of grace. Our Father, we have just been reminded in these hymns that we have a friend in need, indeed in Jesus Christ, who is a friend to all those who are in need. And Lord, if we know ourselves, we know we are a needy people. Indeed, we need you even in this hour, though we are gathered together here in this place. And this place holds the promise of your presence wherever two or three are gathered together in your name. We pray that you would open our eyes to see our need, to see our need of you, to see our need of more of you, to see our need of praising you and honoring you for the good and gracious God that you are. And therefore, we pray you would visit us with help from on high. You would, you would teach us again afresh that we come together not in vain because you promised to be with your people as they come together and come be with us, Lord Jesus. We invite your powerful presence. Lord, do good in this place to saint and sinner alike. To those who are your people, we pray that you would build them up in the most holy faith. And those that don't know you, those who are without hope and without you in this world, we pray that you would open their eyes to see the kingdom of God. You would grant them faith and repentance to believe upon you, to turn from their sins, to embrace the one who came into this world, not to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. Oh, glorify yourself. Meet the needs of your people so that our praise would be turned heavenward and your name would be hallowed in our presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that Chris opened his Bible today to bring us to the first chapter of Mark in his consecutive scripture reading. And it focused in part upon prayer. Christian prayer is as mysterious as it is necessary for the Christian life. Prayer involves communion with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Christian life is supported by prayer. Prayer lays hold upon God from whom all blessings flow. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray both by his word and by his example. Our Lord and Savior was a man of prayer. We saw this in Mark chapter 1. He would leave his disciples and he would go away in the, in the early hours of the day and have prayer communion with his Father, and how we need to be people of prayer, communing with our God through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. Indeed, observing our Lord's prayerful communion with his Father led one of his disciples to ask him for teaching on prayer. And this led to Jesus' instruction, which we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> Follow with me as I read the first four verses to set the context for our study this morning. Luke 11 verse 1. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray 
just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. We have essentially this enlarged upon in the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel. We have a shortened form of it here. I'm not sure that it wasn't given twice. It possibly was. A lot of Jesus' teaching, he he gave at various places at various times. Well, in this Jesus model prayer, our Lord provides us with an outline for the petitions that we should bring before him beginning with our concern for the things of God and then for our own concerns. And this forms a pattern prayer for the matter of our prayer, that is, those petitions that we are to bring before God. But his disciples, notice, wanted not only to know what they should pray for, but how they should pray. They saw in the spirit of Jesus a desire for communion with his heavenly Father, and they wanted something of that for themselves. Jesus lived in constant communion with God at all times in a way that the Apostle Paul urges us to pray. Jesus did perfectly. He prayed without ceasing, but he also had special times and seasons of prayer in which he would get away from his disciples and get alone with his heavenly Father. And so what we have here really is a pattern for the matter of our prayer, but this disciple wanted to know the spirit of a prayer. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And so Jesus gives further instruction on the manner of prayer, that is the disposition with which we should approach our God and the expectations that we should have from him in answer to our prayers. So Jesus instructed these disciples and he instructs us on the manner of our prayer, and this he does in what has been called the parable of the friend at midnight that follows his model prayer, beginning in verse 5. In this prayer, Jesus urges us to not quit praying when it seems that God isn't listening. I'm sure you've experienced that, that you prayed for maybe the same thing for a long time. Maybe you prayed for the salvation of a lost loved one, or you prayed for a spouse, or you prayed for a good job, and it just hasn't come immediately. And as our brother reminded us, we are to continue to pray, and we are to wait on God. And like the Lord Jesus teaches later on in the, in the Gospel of, of Luke in chapter 18, when, his, when our answers come, they will come speedily, just at the right time. So he urges us to persistently present our needs before him. We must continue in prayer with the conviction that our God is wise and that he is a generous heavenly father. We must believe that he hears our prayers. And I think sometimes our prayerlessness is due to the fact that we believe he just doesn't hear us. His ears aren't open to the cries of his people. At least he's not listening to me. Well, we must be assured that he will always provide what we need and when we need it. We must believe 
that our Heavenly Father knows best. So this morning, we're going to come to consider <clears throat> this parable of the friend at midnight. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 5. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence or his shamelessness or his importunity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, this morning, as we consider this parable of the friend at midnight, we're going to look at it under two headings and then come to some concluding application. We're going to notice, first of all, in the first few verses, verses 5 through 8, a needy man's predicament. And then in verses 9 through 13, Jesus lessons on prayer from a needy man's predicament and a neighbor's provision. So let us consider briefly then, first of all, from verses 5 through 8, a needy man's predicament. It's pretty much straightforward. Here we have a man who drops in unexpectedly. All of us have had people come in to our homes unannounced. We get a phone call or a knock on the door and all of a sudden there's a friend there that has a need. But this man's friend, he arrives unexpectedly at an untimely hour. He arrives at midnight he probably traveled all day there in that country, which they ordinarily do in the nighttime where it's cooler, more comfortable to escape the heat of the day. And suddenly, unannounced, he lands on his friend's doorstep. He needs food and he needs lodging. Providence has presented this man with a pressing need. And such is this man's predicament. And since this man has nothing to set before him, Women ordinarily baked every day, and they ate what they baked. They didn't have any preservatives, and they didn't have any food left. The next day hadn't come. The wife hadn't baked. The refrigerator, as we would say, was empty. And so he doesn't have anything to feed his famished friend. So what does he do? 
he slips out and he hurries to the home of a nearby friend. He wakes him up and he asks him for a loan of a few loaves of bread to feed his hungry visitor. Now we think of a few loaves of bread, that's a lot of food. But these are very small, round loaves of bread, just enough to feed one person probably for a loaf. And so this neighbor friend that he goes to, having been rudely awakened from his sleep and bothered by his friend's intrusion, he refuses to comply with his need. I know you're my friend, but you're just not going to get me up and out of bed at this hour. Well, pressed with his need for food, for his unexpected guests, he continues pleading. Open the door, please. It won't take long. Give me something. No, no, go away. You heard me the first time. And now he's starting to bang on the door. He's asking and he's seeking and now he's knocking. And now his friend, who's fully awake, he finally gives in to his friend's persistent and shameless pleading. And so he drags himself out of bed. He steps around his stirring children. He un unbars the bolted door. He gathers up the requested loaves and anything else that his friend might need. And he puts it in his hand and he sends him on his way. Our Lord teaches that this Reluctant neighbor finally succumbs to his, his friend's request, not because he is a friend, because of his shameless pestering. Okay, I'll give it to you. Just get out of here. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Well, that's the simple, very straightforward and plain story. Now let us consider Jesus' lessons on prayer from a needy man's predicament and a neighbor's provision. <clears throat> Question. In this homey story, is Jesus teaching that our Heavenly Father is like the resistant neighbor whose reluctance to answer our prayers is overcome only by our shameless pleading like a child at the checkout stand. He wants a candy bar and he just tugs on his mom's skirt, pleads with her, throws a fit and a temper tantrum in order to get that Snickers before he goes out the door with his mom. Is that the way that God hears us? And is that the view that we are to have of our God in hearing our prayers? And if this is not what Jesus is teaching, what is he teaching? Well, notice first of all then, what Jesus is not teaching in this parable. First of all, our Lord is not teaching that God is like this man's reluctant friend. I think that's right on the surface. We have a contrast here between God and this, this reluctant friend. Notice a couple of points of contrast between our God and this resistant neighbor. First of all, God is not like this sleeping friend who is out of touch 
with his people's needs. No, his eye is continually upon us as his beloved people. If his eye is on the sparrow and we're worth much more than sparrows, won't his eye be upon us who are creatures made in his image and especially those who are being remade in the image of Christ if we are his chosen and beloved people? Psalm 121, verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't only not slumber and not sleep, he will never slumber and sleep. Furthermore, God is not deaf to his people's prayers or reluctant to their needs. Sometimes we might think that God is on the far corner of the universe. He's playing golf somewhere and he just can't hear my prayers. They're not reaching his ears. Well, God is not deaf to his people's prayers, nor is he reluctant to meet their needs. Jesus says in Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So, don't be thinking that way, Jesus says. Second, since God is not like this uninformed and reluctant neighbor, Jesus is not teaching that we must plead with shameless persistence like this needy man for God to hear and answer us. Yes, we are to pray without ceasing. We are to trust that God hears our prayers. In other words, God doesn't hear and answer our petitions because of the intensity and the repetition of our prayers. He doesn't hear us on this basis. In other words, our asking and seeking and knocking is not necessarily a ratcheting up of the intensity of our prayer. Sometimes it does get ratcheted up, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we're not to think that God hears and answers our prayers on the basis of the intensity and repetition of our prayers. That's pagan thinking. We must try, not try to manipulate God like the pagan prophets on Mount Baal did, or Mount Carmel did, the prophets of Baal. They pled and then they jumped up and down, and then they cut themselves, and they went into a fits of frenzy trying to get their God to hear. And he didn't hear. The prophet merely prayed, and God answered. Fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. So we must not try to manipulate God like these pagan prophets on Mount, Mount Carmel, nor must we use meaningless repetition thinking that if we continue to pray or thumb our beads and, and do all of our Hail Marys and our fathers, that God is going to hear us. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Third, Jesus does not intend in this parable to be teaching a full-orbed doctrine of answered prayer. This is suggestive. It is not exhaustive. And as we will see, 
the prayer that God answers is also conditioned by other factors. So if this is not what Jesus is teaching in this parable, pray tell what is he teaching in this parable? Notice, first of all, the context in which we plead. First of all, God places us in situations that expose our desperate need of him. We're often driven to our knees because of difficult or even desperate circumstances. This man's otherwise peaceful day, or or we should say night, is interrupted by a providential emergency. And he must respond. But how must he respond? He hasn't the needed resources. He must seek what he needs from another. And so our Lord sends problems and puts before us situations that we cannot possibly solve with our own resources. And so we are driven to him in prayer because he has all that we need. Remember Moses' situation. Boy, was he in a desperate plight. Behind him were Pharaoh's rushing chariots bearing down upon him. Before him was the Red Sea depth. So what does he do? Well, he has but one option. And so he cries out to God and God answers. And remember Peter. May I come out to you, Jesus? Jesus is on the water. Jesus has come. So Peter walks on the water at Jesus' bidding, but he's distracted by the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. And so what does he do? He shut up to but one option. He cries out to Jesus, and Jesus saves him. So that brings us to a couple of lessons. First of all, God sends providential emergencies to show us our desperate need and our own utter insufficiency to meet those needs. And I suggest that we would seldom pray if God never put us in in situations that show us our desperate need of him. We get along just fine, don't we? But then comes a sudden emergency and we cry out to God. Maybe we haven't prayed for a time and now we do. Secondly, let us thank God for sending such emergencies, such predicaments, since they drive us to him in prayer. And he does this to glorify himself in answers to our prayer. So rather than fretting and stewing and complaining, let us learn to pray that we might be helped, that he might be praised. So God places us in situations that expose our desperate need of him. Secondly, God shows us our desperate need of him so that we may seek him in earnest, believing prayer. He shows us our desperate need of him so that we may seek him in earnest, believing prayer. Now we know that God knows our needs before we ask him. Jesus told us that. But he wants to hear us voice our need. Loving fathers delight to hear their children present their needs to him. In fact, they are glorified in a human sense when our children come to us and they say, I need something. They believe that you can provide it. And in the same way, and to a much greater 
degree we come to our Heavenly Father because He does possess what human fathers often don't possess. That is all that we need. And so the sound of our cries is delightful to the ears of our Heavenly Father when we present those needs to Him through Jesus Christ, His beloved Son. How different is the response of our Heavenly Father to the requests of His praying children to that of the reluctant man to his needy friend. Let's consider some of those contrasts. First of all, unlike this friend's barred and locked door, the throne of grace is always accessible. It's accessible to the people of God. Jesus Christ is there, seated at the right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. Hebrews 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Have we ever come to, to God through Jesus Christ, pleading our desperate need, and He turn His ear away from us and not give us help? Sometimes we don't get the help that we want at the time that we want it, but when He does give it to us, we reflect back and say, He gave us just, He gave me just what I need, just at the right time. And unlike this unhappy friend, God is never bothered by our requests. He's never bothered. He doesn't say, go away and come back in a more convenient time. I'm sorry, I am slumbering and sleeping. We'll never hear that. And unlike this grumpy neighbor, God doesn't chide us for coming to him. How dare you come to me? And again and again and again. Go away. We'll never hear that from our God. And unlike this man who pleaded with shameless persistence to rouse his resistant neighbor, we need not conjole God to give us what we need. We need not pester Him and say to Him again over and over what we think He needs to know. Oh, He'll provide us what we need again when we need it. Furthermore, Jesus teaches in this parable that God will provide for our needs, not scantily, but generously. This this man got up and he gave the man the loaves of bread and whatever else he needed. And how much more so will God provide for our needs? Brethren, how rich we are because we are God's redeemed children. The resources of our Heavenly Father are infinite. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We possess all things as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we need not worry that our God will fail to supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If He gave His beloved Son to purchase our salvation from sin, will He not provide for us every lesser need? The neighbor provided the needy man with not just three loaves, but all that he needed. How often this is the experience of God's praying people. We see it in the scriptures. A barren Hannah prays and Samuel is born. King Asa, he's invaded by a million man army. He prays and he gains the victory. 
Elijah prays down three years of drought and then prays again, and he's answered with torrents of rain. Isaiah prays during a national catastrophe and 180,000 Assyrian soldiers lay dead. The apostles prayed for the promise of the Holy Spirit and he descended and he baptized a multitude. Our generous God delights to provide above and beyond our prayers. Beloved, we are rich, but how often do we live beneath our means? By failing to ask God, we who are princes, we often live as paupers. We may experience spiritual poverty. Why? Because we fail to open our mouths in urgent believing prayer that God will fill them. Open your mouth and I will fill them. Some blessings from God come only by our asking. God has promised to give us things, many things that are suspended upon our prayers for for them. We won't receive them until we pray. How often we have not. Why? Because we ask not. Or we ask for harmful things that our good Heavenly Father refuses to give us because He loves us. Jesus teaches in this parable that God will provide for our needs, not only generously, but in a timely manner. Abraham's servant prayed and Rebekah appeared. Jacob prayed and the heart of his estranged brother is wonderfully changed. Moses prayed and the sea divided. Daniel prayed and the mouths of lions were closed. Nehemiah fired a silent prayer to heaven and God softened the king's heart. Jonah prays and the fish spits him out on dry land. Elisha prays and the Jordan is parted. The disciples prayed and an angel delivers and imprisoned Peter. Furthermore, Jesus teaches in this parable that our Heavenly Father will provide for our needs wisely. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, even good gods or dads are bad because of remaining sin, because they're born in sin, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ordinarily, even sinful human fathers, they don't play cruel tricks upon their needy children. Jesus argues here from the lesser to the greater, from the kindness and benevolence of sinful human fathers in providing for their children's needs to the consummate kindness of our gracious Heavenly Father who perfectly provides for the needs of His beloved children. Indeed, Jesus teaches that our Father in Heaven provides us at our asking for the very best of gifts, and that is the Holy Spirit, spoken of as the gift of God. But brethren, we must not misunderstand Jesus' promise. Our Heavenly Father, who wisely gives only good gifts to His children, may sometimes grant us our foolish 
request to wean us from our folly. Sometimes we cry and beg and plead and try to cajole God into giving us what we want, and we don't want it for good reasons. And sometimes he'll give it to us just to give us a snoot full of our folly. Remember God's response to Israel's petulant demand for meat. They lusted after the leeks and garlics they left behind. You see, they become quickly dissatisfied with heavenly food that God gave them in the form of manna. It's this manna. How can we live on this? We want meat. and We had plenty of it. It's amazing how our memories are golden when they really weren't so precious and beneficial to go back to what we had. And so God answered their request. He glutted them with quail, judging his discontent people for their carnal lust and their gross ingratitude for his heavenly provision. Psalm 106 speaks of this. Verse 15, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Verse 29, So they ate and were filled. And their desire, he gave them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while the food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. God may wisely grant us a foolish request to wean us from seeking foolish things. So let's consider some lessons before we come to concluding applications for answered prayer. First of all, let us be sure that we are God's true children if we would expect his answer to our prayers. God gives ungodly people what they want. They don't thank him for it. He's not obligated to give them those things. Indeed, his kindness should lead them to repentance, but it doesn't, oftentimes. Let us be sure that we are God's true children if we would expect his answer to our prayers. Do we abide in Christ? Do his words abide in us? John 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Are we in Christ? Are his words in us? And when we ask God for something, are we seeking to do his will as revealed in his word? First John, or this time, First John 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that is his revealed will, not his secret will, we don't know what that is. He hears us. You see, God's will is revealed in his words. We're informed in the pages of scripture what we should ask for. And if we ask for those things, he promises to give them. Further, and are we striving by God's grace to please the Lord by a life of evangelical obedience to his commandments, not trying to earn his favor, 
No, not trying to earn salvation. No, evangelical obedience. That is, delight in God and a desire to please Him by the way that we live. 1 John 3 and verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And this comes back to the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We want God's will. And He promises if we seek to please Him, He will answer us in His own good time. A child that delights to please his father by obeying his commandments has his father's heart and he moves his father's hand. Secondly, let us not fret in unbelief, but instead gratefully present our requests to God. We're not to be biting our nails, we're to be folding our hands. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for some things, no, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. So what do you do when you're tempted to anxiety? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. God, I'm thankful for what you have provided for me in the past and even in the present, in the midst of my need. Would you please provide this? Lord, and I look forward with thanksgiving to the answer to your prayers because you provided in the past and what a good God you are. I trust you'll provide in the future. If we believe that our Heavenly Father knows best, if we are convinced that he will always do what is good for us, we will pray with confidence that he will give us what we need. Indeed, Brethren, we cannot out-ask our Heavenly Father. He delights to give us better than we request, always better than what we deserve. And we don't always see at the time, and perhaps later and surely in eternity, we will testify that He has done all things well in our lives. And we will come to praise Him forever and ever, from Him from whom all blessings flow. So what does that say to us by way of some concluding lessons for answered prayer? First of all, let us learn to esteem our predicaments as God-sent opportunities to learn deeper dependence upon our Heavenly Father. You know, sometimes we think, Lord, why, why this? Why now? Why me? Rather, we should say, Lord, why in, in the right sense, what would you teach me in this? Certainly, the first thing that you should teach me is to get on my knees and pray. And if this has come about because of sin, confess my sin. God sends us predicaments to teach us our dependence upon him. It's opportunities for prayer. Let us regard trials as blessings in disguise. We don't think that way. Only grace can teach us that. And how often we need to relearn it, don't we? They show us how much we need the Lord. And we need to be reminded of this again and again. Secondly, let us learn to express our dependence upon our Heavenly Father in urgent believing prayer. 
God will never rebuke us for pleading with him in desperate, dependent, believing prayer. Lord, you know what I need. You have all the resources at your disposal and you can wisely bestow them upon me. You see, God delights to hear and to answer the prayers of his dependent, believing people, praying in holy desperation to him who only can really answer our prayers and for our good. Thirdly, let us learn to expect that urgent, believing prayer to our gracious Heavenly Father will yield answers better than we ask. God never gives us a substandard answer to his prayer because he's a generous, gracious giver. You see, our God is not stingy, he's not tight-fisted, he's large-handed, and he's generous. Our Heavenly Father is glorified by our dependence, and he delights to bless those who pray with childlike trust. You know, as adults, sometimes we can think of all of the reasons why God couldn't answer our prayers. Rather than just coming like a child with an empty hand that says, Daddy, there's a reason why he refers to the spirit of grace and supplication with the term Abba. It's an Aramaic term. Daddy is really what it means. We come to him like children, believing he can give. He takes pleasure in giving good gifts to his believing, praying people. What was Jesus' answer to many that came and believed? And God provided, be it done to you according what? To your faith. Finally, let those who are not yet Christians ask God for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the best of gifts. God can give nothing better than himself, and he gives himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If you're not a Christian, you need the Holy Spirit. You cannot truly pray with acceptance before God without the Holy Spirit. Ask God to show you your sin and your need of Jesus as your Savior. And God will give you new life by the Holy Spirit, granting you faith in Jesus and repentance from your sin. To have the Spirit is to have the Father and to have the Son. To have Jesus as your Savior, you must have the Holy Spirit. The man in Jesus' parable sought, interestingly, a loaf of bread for his friend. And you need something far more important and significant than mere bread. You need the bread of life. You need Jesus Christ. You must trust him if you would be saved from your sin and have eternal life. The spirit dwelling in your heart is the down payment and promise of eternal life. He dwells in the hearts of those who have been redeemed from their sin, set apart by God for blessing, and those who will one day inhabit heaven. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day to come. 
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall not thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin to him who saves those, as we saw this morning earlier in the scripture reading? Repent and believe the gospel, and you will be saved. Go to Jesus because he is the best of friends, and he has provided his blood for your life. Which of all our friends to save us, we sang, could or would have shed his blood. But our Jesus died to have us reconciled in him to God. This was boundless love indeed. Jesus is a friend in need. You need him. Would you not come to him today? Jesus promises, he says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Come to him today and you will be received in the arms of salvation by a, a God sent savior who came to save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we pray that we would take away lessons from this message this day, some that maybe we're being reminded of, maybe some we've never heard before, but all we may easily forget. So we pray that you would write these things upon our hearts. Oh, that you would bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very best of friends, who never turns away any needy sinner, but feeds him with himself the bread of life, that he might have eternal life and have in himself all that God has promised to those who come to him. So Lord, hear us as we pray these things, that there would be none that would go away famished this day, but they would be fed to the full on the bread of life, even Jesus Christ by faith, we ask in his name, amen.